Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here again. This is our fifth year presenting here, and each year we present a little bit different, uh, differently and different concepts, and that's kind of how music therapy as an art form and a clinical care uh, modality evolves with the times to reflect changing trends. And so today we're kind of moving out of the norm uh, and not talking a lot about live music. We will talk about live music, which is the essence of music therapy, but we're moving into some self-care treatments. We feel it's our obligation to embrace what's happening in technology. So um, that we're gonna, you're in for a nice treat, I think. Uh, no disclosures, no financial relationships, always trying to change this. We're always looking for people to fund our research, but right now, <laughs> we're not. Learn, take a minute and read the learning objectives. These are um, what our hopes are, um, really looking at uh, you know, neuro, neurologic mechanisms in, in how we synthesize groove uh, toward tension release resolution. So why are we talking about groove when we um, are music therapists and why are we at Pain Week talking about groove? Because we feel that groove is an essence of music that we all feel and move into. You're going to learn a little bit about what makes groove happen, how we perceive groove, and the effects of groove. Um, but before we talk about the, you know, move into the mechanics of why it's such an implicit thing, I want to show you a little video that uh, I created over the past year with the help of my colleague Robin Mitchell back in New York. And I think it, it will take you into the zone of wellness and why movement to music is such a natural thing. Uh-oh, how do I get back there? What do I do to play this? She's 
something mystical Colored lights I say So far from typical But take my advice Before you play with fire Do things twice And if you get burned Well baby don't you be surprised Drifting higher in the ceiling Ooh baby it's the ultimate feeling You got me lifted Feeling so gifted Sugar how you get so Whether in a state of wellness or a state of disease, movement is natural. It's innate to being human, and we do it sometimes without even realizing it. So in terms of music therapy, when we're working with terminally ill or, or chronically, chronic pain patients, even those that are afraid of movement, kinesiophobia, the fear of movement and pain, will move. Even if they're saying, you know, I just want to be passive and listen, pretty soon you'll see the, the foot underneath the blanket keeping time. So it's a natural mechanism and we've been using it in live music therapy to create tension release, release uh, in pain crises and, and you're going to hear a lot from that from Joanne and Andrew as we move into the presentation. But we're looking at it because as the healthcare paradigm model changes to a one of wellness um, and, and marked by fewer admissions, shorter stays, fewer beds uh, and more at home ambulatory care. Um, we think that it's our role to help educate about ways to self-treat. It doesn't replace music therapy or, or seeing live clinicians for your work, or certainly it doesn't replace pharmacologic management by any means. That's not the messaging here. The messaging here is to talk about marshalling one's resources and to have a sense of agency to facilitate greater coping with pain if, if pain is what you're dealing with. Um, and there's an increased accessibility to mind-body practices. Yoga, Reiki, acupuncture, massage, music therapy, dance movement therapy, some research happening on more psychologically based uh, um, freedom techniques, tapping, EFT, and eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So it's, it's happening all around that there's a recognition that movement is a, is a healthy sign of vitality and life participation. Again, these are some of the things you saw in the, in the video. You know, uh, people find a way to release anyway, from tapping to shaking to full-out dancing. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, and what makes music groove? And I'm going to talk a little bit about this, and Andrew's going to expound further, I think. Uh, but the research on groove in music is that it, it generally elicits a feeling of pleasure. 
a feeling of, of fun or, or lightness. It's also in, in the research that's come out from Peter Donata and his team is that it's music that's not overly complex. So I'm going to give you some resources at the end of this presentation, different ways to find uh, groove-oriented music, electronic dance mu music, or music that's just produced electronically to create, to bring groove to the forefront. So I'll give those to you at the end. But I think it's important to look at that this music is, is a, still a personalized choice, something we always value in, in music therapy in terms of live music. It's patient-preferred. So that's why these resources are going to open that up for you, I think, at the end. Um, and that's sort of the second point there. No matter how group is perceived, it's an individual thing. And we want to emphasize that. This uh, technology in terms of production of music is running simultaneous with accessibility through um, the evolution of technology, meaning the earphones you know, from the early Victrola through the iPhone. And there, I mean, the full range from the Sony Walkman in the 80s clear up to now, that it's so accessible to access music and to really score your life from moment to moment if you wish to. Some would say that it, it marks a departure of community. I think it's, my opinion is that it's not. It, it, it marks more of a, a, a movement toward agency and marshalling your own uh, life score as you would see it be. Um, getting to music therapy, before I introduce Joanne Lowy, our founder and director, I want to bring the emphasis of groove to live drumming. We're going to revisit electronic music later on. But in live drumming, this is uh, a, t uh, a modality in, within music therapy that we've been working with for, at least at the Armstrong Center, for over 20 years. But it's in music therapy for the past 60, 70 years. And before that, shamanistic drumming. I mean, drumming has been uh, a primal way of expression. So movement is intrinsic. And the research is, you know, in terms of why do we, why do we move toward music? Is it aesthetic experience? Are we wired to create aesthetic experience? This is all relevant research. It's important research, but it doesn't take away from the anecdotal truth that we gravitate toward music and groove because it's who we are as human beings. We need it. Our rhythmic, our organs are rhythmic. We breathe in rhythm. We, our heartbeat is, rhythm, is rhythmic. Most doctors uh, watch the gait of someone walking. That's rhythmic. And if it's not rhythmic, it marks disease, dis-ease, as Joanne would say. So as rhythmic beings, it follows that we would look at rhythm in our, in our own choices towards self-care. Um, I'm going to turn this over to Joanne now. And she's going to uh, talk about our program and uh, bring it into the, the context of music therapy. Yeah? Are these my slides? Should I keep going? I think these are my slides. Sorry, a little bit, a little bit weight on Joanne Lowy. So we, live music, as I said, is, is something we've always emphasized, but we're moving toward a recognition that you know, we can't be in every setting. Andrew will talk about that in terms of fragile settings. Um, but So recorded music and in, in iPhones and ear, ear uh, devices, personal stereo, are uh, you know, viable resources for people coming in the hospital. Um, our work in the Armstrong Center has unfolded, just to give you some context, over the past 25 years through attendance to four different areas, really. Clinical care, crown jewel of what we do, working with patients um, from a place of disease to a place of wellness, helping patients resource. This is one example of clinical work in, in outreach um, to stroke uh, survivors and their caregivers. So we're looking at that, and John will talk about that study. But it, it, in, in music therapy, be it live music or the introduction of, of resourcing through Groove, we want to 
not just work in the clinical setting, but move it into the community. And outreach has been a big part of our work. Uh, asthma, HIV in the 90s and the early part of this millennium. Stroke, COPD, asthma. One of our outreach efforts is also a fundraiser. This is John Fattis on the trumpet. If you look over here, that's Pete Seeger, one of our honorees a few years ago. Each year we do this major event and it brings uh, funding into the department um, and it really creates identity um, and allows us to uh, educate. Another part of our program, educating staff. Dr. Sarah on the guitar is one of our oncologists um, and supporters. He runs a self-initiated, we didn't initiate that, but we helped him. He initiated a caring for the caregiver group for his nurses and this is him uh, participating in the music with the music therapist to facilitate that group for nurses and attendings and fellows. So we have an enlightened program, but a lot of work to do. This is our team, uh, Joanne Lowy. We have a seven music therapists on staff, Stephen Quentin's medical director, and Marie Grippo, administrative assistant. Research, big. We, uh, in terms of meeting the, the demands of the medical model, we deliver quantitative components of our research, but that doesn't tell the whole story. So in music therapy, any art form, we look at mixed methods. These are all mixed method studies looking at qualitative to fill in the gaps that quantitative can't possibly do. Many of these studies are published, uh, the top one in pediatrics, um, the other ones are in, in being written up, the respiratory is in uh, respiratory medicine, the pain in orthopedics is coming out in the Journal of Orthopedic Surgery, and I'm proud to say that these are not quantitative, as I said, fully quantitative studies, they're mixed methods, and I think that that's really where we are going in research in terms of the art forms, art modalities. We do educational symposia every year since 97. Everything from end of life, resilience um, in, in oncology, music therapy and antepartum care, cancer, pain, integrating technology and music therapy, neurology. We're invested in sharing what we do um, and not keeping it just within the clinic setting but bringing it to the, the community. We publish books, all of our work. These books also include the work of clinicians around the world that share in the same philosophy that, that we do. Some of these, I believe, are on the book table this year, right, Joanne? Are they still out there yet? And big internship program every year, 10 to 12 interns and fellows. This is one of our groups. So educating people to, to uh, practice medical music psychotherapy in the world and bring these tenets to more people is, is a, a big mission of our work. So clinical care, outreach, research, and education uh, are the driving forces of our program. And now I am going to turn it over to Joanne Lowy because medical music psychotherapy is uh, a practice that she has developed and honed. Please give it up for Joanne Lowy.
better. At the end of the day, it's about how our patients come in, how quickly we can assess them. And that's often first done, right, by listening to the heart rate. So doctors are listening to music first step. Um, and then when they leave, what can we provide? And we take this very seriously in our clinical work. I'm playing guitar here with a woman in the holding area before surgery. And so her last mind control when she goes into the OR will be her imagery of somewhere over the rainbow where she can anchor her tension, her pain slash anxiety with an image of her choice, but also with a human being in training with her heart rate. That can be quite effective. So included in what we do in the group are the patient's beliefs, and we take that very seriously. And diversity is a big part of how we treat at Mount Sinai Beth Israel and in New York in general. And I think we could do more of that rather than just judging pain from one to 10. Someone from Ohio would probably have a different rating than someone from the Mideast, let's say, someone who's grown up with war. So honoring the patient experience means that we can provide music. And you know, I've gone to a lot of lectures in these past days. They talk about cognitive behavioral therapy and that you can't do it well in five minutes, and that's true. But having a music therapy assessment, assessing what's going to groove for the patient, and then playing and then training with them can really um, make a vast difference in how they experience medical care. This doesn't mean you just put a piano player in, in the waiting room. This means you consult, at the very least consult with a music therapist, find out what instruments, find out if your local university can partake in bringing noise down in an ICU, for instance, etc. So the other part of this is supporting the coping mechanisms. And through a favorite song or th through how the patient speaks, we can identify those coping mechanisms and work creatively. So we're all about music and medicine, and these are sort of the areas that we're looking at. I'm having a little asthma right now, so if you're doing a music therapy assessment, you might hear I have a little SOB. That's one of my favorite uh, acronyms. <laughs> so um, how do we regulate heart rate and blood pressure? And here is a, a woman. You can see perhaps how many times she's been stuck you can also notice pictures she brought in that her children made for her. These are the kinds of things we're looking at. But we're also looking at what doctors and nurses are looking at, the rhythm of the body, but also what can anchor and hold. And groove is a big part of that. This woman, the music therapist, went in with a chidanga, and that really spoke to the patient because their culturality was the same. So we're able to negotiate that quite well. And of course, we can be using more mechanisms besides 0 to 10. So you all have colored pencils on your desk, in your rooms. 
you might use those to, for a color analysis scale. We've been able to assess comorbidities, sexual abuse, all kinds of things using a color analysis scale and also the intensity of the pain. But let's talk more about groove because groove is not only about rhythm and music, but groove is understanding the rhythmic context, the life world from wake up to sleep patterns of a patient. And they say that half the world is depressed, right? How many pharmacological agents are there now for depression? But how do we really assess as practitioners depression? So that means the daily life, we've heard a lot of that. That also means the sleep patterns, because groove is about predictability, neurologic predictability. And this is studied a lot more in Scandinavia and Europe than it is here. The rhythmic life cycles of when you wake up, when you take your medication, when you go to sleep. This is all part of a rhythmic being. It's part of what makes up our neurology and it should be instrumental, more instrumental in medicine. And if we look at the cost of treating depression and we use what John Montanero just talked about, the wellness of music, there is predictability in music. There is rhythmic construct in music, right? There is a rhythm that someone can build resilience in. I keep hearing that train, and I'm wondering what time I have to be at work. We're, get, we're getting little rhythmic cues about every seven minutes I've timed it. What the hell is that? You know? <laughs> what is it? Are you doing that? No, it's like a power check. All right. But you all are affected by that sound coming. Some of you, I notice, are going, what the hell? Others of you are like, yeah, that's the blow, blow. You already know right? But how each person responds to that, what sounds like my helicopter, right? It is a response. And as music therapists, we become very, very critical and adaptive to, bless you, sound environments. So we have studies going in, in uh, ICUs to bring down the noise, to look at the perception of live music. That's so critical. You don't just go play the harp. We need to know what is the groove of every person in that ICU. And the answer is that there's not one song in a can. It might work for Celine Dion to sing with the beautiful, that's recreation. But in music therapy, we need to know who's in the ICU at the time. We need to know the favorite tunes of nurses and doctors. We need to know who's on the edge of death who just arrived from the operating room. So this is why it's a science and an art. Hold that thought. So knowing aspects of depression can really link in to how the music therapist can work with the psychiatrist and the team to prescribe music. And it's really interesting to look at what I'm really interested in these days. Uh, Neurologic music therapy is very big, but I'm really interested in looking at the neural mechanisms of singing. 
because people with a stroke, for instance, and that's what we're studying here. I brought brochures in case you live near New York City. We have a free stroke and their caregiver choir. But singing's so different than just speaking because when you're speaking, you do it, you have to wait your turn, right? Hi, how are you? How was your night? What did you have for breakfast? See, there's a delayed time in how I can really assess what's going on with my patient. But in the singing, we can do it together. So we can really feel the pain of what a patient is going through dynamically. And then also, people that have neurologic dysfunction can come and sing with. And it's just amazing when you put the groove in speech, which is really singing, right? You're elongating the melody. You have repetition. You have predictable phrasing. They can remember. It sparks a memory. And what we're learning about neurology is that there's a melodic imprint. Babies recognize songs that were sung, not just mother's voice, but songs, melodic patterns that were sung in the womb. People at the in comas, in comas that are not responsive, can recognize melodic patterns. And the beauty of that is it's not only a neural imprint and all science. When I spoke to Gabby Giffords, who recalled her song, uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. As a music psychotherapist, it really interested me why that song was part of a very important part of her life. So there's also a affect memory that's embedded in music. So these are just some of the um, elements of music and speech that we see through history. There's Gabby Giffords, the King's Speech. We saw a lot of groove going on with the speech therapist in terms of how he used melody. And then it became very creatively playful when they went to the toys at the table. And, and the King got to play with toys that he wasn't allowed to play with. So music, affect, right? Think of your wedding song. Think of your favorite song. What grooves you when you're in traffic? Frustration tolerance. Um, Helen Keller touching Caruso's lips. So we have intimacy, vibration. All of this is embedded in music and music therapy. So some of the research that's done, being done in music therapy shows um, that we can increase activities of daily living, right? And we knew this from singing Mulberry Bush with our kids, right? And we sing this to tie the shoes or get them out the door. It's the repetition. And we can use this in clinical practice with people that have cognitive difficulties, that have neurologic dysfunction. So in our stroke choir, we see miracles every Monday night. I stay uh, with Andrew Rossetti. We lead this choir where some people come in wheelchairs like this. And you play a song of choice, right? Delta Dawn by Helen Reddy. And all of a sudden, they look alive, and you see their lips moving. 
and they're doing something with their caregiver that is not stressful. They can do something besides going to church or maybe going to a speech therapy, both wonderful, but they're actually singing songs of their choice in the moment. So we're studying mood through saliva, we're studying um, speech using the wab, and we're, we're looking at that. Because music is, is critical when you think about groove and neurologic function, when you think about the predictability of a phrase of a song, and when you think about incentive, right? So I'm thinking about, do it with me, please. You know what I'm doing, right? Here we go. We'll start on we. We will rock you. We will rock you. Right? So it builds that incentive. And maybe you're picturing where you were 20 years ago, right? When Queen was Freddie Mercury, right? But this is the way people can move and build incentive. We're sparking creativity. We're enlightening a memory, a context for the rhythm, not just the neural pathway. That research there is there. Melodic intonation therapy, yes, with small intervals used predictably with autistic children. We can recover language, but let's bring in the music psychotherapy, right? So I might ask, I might ask you, when did you first hear that song, right? The caregiver, oh, you know, when we were going out for dinner, when we were dot, dot, dot. So we're stringing together moments of the past with the now, and then what are the goals? What would we rock if we were doing this? We could add places we want to go, things we want to do, right? have a little oomph to it. This is the kind of groove we're using with the harmony, with breath, and with rhythm. And then performance. In a way, we're always performing. But when you crystallize that moment and context of being together, bless you, in music. So our stroke choir is singing at our event, bless you, on September 20th at the Highland Ballroom. We're honoring this year, Dionne Warwick. So they're all coming and singing. That's what friends are for, so we're tying together, right? An experience. It's not, there are patients, keep them there. It's like, come out in the community. This is also about groove. So we do a lot of jams on our units and in the community. There's safety in playing music together. And like I said, we include favorite songs. Favorite song is sort of a roadmap to the soul or to a particular time in someone's life. So in case you've never read the music therapy literature, patient-selected music is critical. And if it's inappropriate, we can always adapt it um, to be meaningful in the moment. There's my plane. We can also cue breathing for people with asthma. We do that with kids in the public schools. We give them recorders and we do live music therapy 
in groups. And then we can also modulate dynamics, right? So we've worked in populations with very angry teenagers, let's say, where they're screaming and throwing things. I had once a kid that threw a brick through a window through the principal's office. And so we can modulate dynamics by working with affect in the moment. And that's another part of cue, because music does it for us. Music has elements of louds and softs. And what if we turn the soft, repressed individual into someone loud and had them play drums and regulate? So I want to talk a little about entrainment. This is a very important term in music therapy. This is why we tell people to sort of get away from the musical masturbation, the iPod, which is very, very sexy. But it's much better affectually for you to be working with someone live. So I want to show you a little bit of how entrainment works. It's working all the time, um, though you may not know it. There have been people that have gone out into communities and actually studied entrainment. People at bars all sitting in a row like this. People in classrooms all sitting in a row like this. Um, but even inanimate objects in train. So this is a little experiment with metal metronomes. And it kind of proves to you that even inanimate objects are in training. So you see they started out at different rhythms, and now they're all going the same way. And um, so like this row is having a little bit of entrainment now in the way you're postured and sitting. We're in training all the time. Women in the workplace within a month started to have the same cycles. Even They've studied even women that don't know each other. Just merely being around people, um, you are in training. So the other part, I think, that gets lost in medicine a lot, though I'm hearing more at this conference about sleep health, but the very important elements of predictability and groove in daily function, encouraging our patients to wake up at the same time if possible, to have rituals of wake up, you know, as well as in sleep. So not to look at the computers, listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire before you're going to sleep. And then, looking at number of hours, the magic number seven. Seven hours is a good number for you to have to sleep. <clears throat> so we sort of did this to decrease falls, um, increase safety, but also to make a better patient experience. Because you might notice when you travel, your groove is off a little bit. Um, there's that woman, and I went into the OR, right? So when we get into trauma, and I'm sure my colleague Andrew will talk a little more about this, it's another area we study. Because if we can use rhythm to make predictability that's comforting 
And this is that same woman. I went right into surgery with her. So she had that image of the rainbow. She's controlling her thoughts rather than her last image being five guys coming over and going, breathe deep, right? She controls where she goes. So these transitions are really important. And the predictability of music, the predictability of a lullaby, right, to help someone sleep, which is another study we did. We studied choral hydrate versus lullabies for medical tests. So I'm going to talk a little bit now about release and groove and rhythm, because I think it's so important. And I think particularly in America, we're sort of repressed about releasing. Um, I think doctors and nurses are in the habit of saying, is your pain gone, you know, so I can move on, rather than saying, are you having pain? Or how, how, is, how is your pain? And sitting down, even if it's a minute, if we did a study that looked at that minute, where one sat down and said, how is your pain? Versus one that stood up thinking, I've got to get to the next patient, right? Or even the 20 people in the waiting room, we would see a difference. So how we posture. And then if someone is in pain, making a referral to a music therapist, or having the tools nearby for release. So we know that people can control their pain because there's studies people know about firewalking, where they use drums to release the pain, right? And where someone else can experience that pain at the same time as you, with you, means I, as a therapist, am not afraid of your pain. Let's get in there and do it together. Let's get in there and release. So if we look at firewalking, for instance, they don't use anesthesia for that. They use drums. Drums is a healthy way, an appropriate way to release. But in drumming, we also have groove. And when we have groove in release, it means the person we're doing it with gets it. And it means we can connect out the pain together. And that is quite satisfying, probably more than any other instrument that we have at our clinics and our centers are drums. Good drum, great. I mean, arguably, guitar is great, too. It looks like a human body. You could do classic jazz, piano, sure. Sort of looks like a computer. But a drum with release is critical. Um, it's used in rites of passage. We're using it in our chemotherapy study release as one of the mechanisms we're studying. Because when you put chemicals in the body, it makes people nauseous. And there's a lot of fear. But when we use mechanisms of release, we're using songwriting, instrumental play versus control. It's another study. But resilience, helping people get it out is healthy. Um, I wrote a chapter on sickle cell, uh, the quiet soldier, a teenage boy I worked with for many years. And I'd go in and I'd say, how's your pain? He'd be like, hmm, it's fine. And I, I could feel his pain talking to him. So getting on a drum means giving the quiet, good-behaved person permission to release. And I think we're going to see this more and more in relief work with some of our soldiers. That's a big area of music therapy. 
So I want to show you my best teacher of release, a little video, and then I'll turn it over to my colleague, Andrew Rossetti. Um, but this is a woman I worked with um, at end of life. Beautiful woman. Uh, the first session I did was an assessment, and she identified her favorite song, too. One was Lift Thine Eyes. She had sung Elijah in a choir. Lift Thine Eyes is like a hymn. It's gorgeous. Anybody ever sung it? All right. Trust me, it's beautiful. Mendelssohn, look it up. Lift Thine Eyes Onto the Mountain. And the other song was Deo. How many people know Deo? Right. It's a good song because it has a groove. It's not quite as amazing great as dark. We use that a lot. Patients like it. But Deo sort of has that groove. Um, but it's also about, there's my helicopter, going home. And daylight coming, I got to go home. And home is a safe place. And we can work with it metaphorically in music. So the second session I did with her two boys, and we went, we did a story song, and we went to the Virgin Islands, where she was from. And we, it was sort of metaphoric that they knew she was passing, she was dying. And we got to sing some of her songs from the Virgin Islands. Then the last session of which this clip is from, I went alone. And even though she had a pathological break in her arm, she wanted to drum. And she wanted the music and the release to help her let go. What a privilege this was. So luckily that year I had a smart intern who said, let me film it. So this is part of the pain relief. Um, and what it really shows in my mind is, is how groove, the predictability, right? The patterning neurologically, plus the release of pain. When you put those together, you get someone really having access to letting go even at the final moments. So I'll share a little bit of this.
became very sleepy after a little while. There's just the dog barking outside. She took me to the mountain where she visualized her transition at the moment of death would be. And we went on a donkey. Uh, the part you don't see is she took me to a little door and she saw her friends going through the door. So um, when you get in the groove with someone that has pain, particularly at end of life, you build the trust for them to actually imagine their transition. And it's pretty important work. So she was able to let go a couple days after this. Um, I'm just chanting off before I leave. Was actually the last day before my vacation, ironically, to the Virgin Islands. So caring for the caregiver is also a lot of work we do. Um, during some years, we've had drumming for residents. They're so vulnerable. And if we look at suicide and doctors in training, we see a lot of that in the literature. So just 15 minutes of drumming with residents during the day, during their very long shifts, can build resilience and also create community. So I'm now going to turn over the last part of this groove to my colleague, Andrew Rossetti. Good afternoon. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about the mechanisms uh, by which groove and music work in music therapy for analgesia. Um, we've been talking about two things, about movement uh, for a the photo. What's the first thing you see going on in there? Dr. Lowe's been talking a lot about predictability. I'm going to talk about the interruption of predictability as something that draws us to music. Nobody danced along. Yeah. All right. So uh, in music therapy, we uh, focus on using biopsychosocial processes uh, for pain management. Uh, there are many studies done at this point, not just music therapy studies, uh, but also um, social sciences and uh, psychology about the um, working with the domains, different domains of pain. Uh, this all sort of derives from uh, Katz and Melzack's uh, gate control theory and neuromatrix theories. And uh, what we focus on mostly in, in, uh, in uh, music therapy are three domains which are cognitive, discriminatory, and, and emotional. Emotional is probably one of the easiest ones to work with. Emotion has a lot to do with release 
which is one of the strategies that we use quite often. I, I just want to put out here that, that at this point, um, this is a, uh, a work in, 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 uh, in progress. There are many, many different um, interventions, pain management interventions that are being developed in music therapy. Release strategies is one of them. That's one that we're concentrating on today. Um, we also look at uh, modulation of mood state, metaphoric content in music. Um, I've heard lots of different papers and presentations here at this conference this year and other years that talk about the coexistence of uh, anxiety and pain and how anxiety exacerbates pain. So if we're looking at reducing anxiety, you could postulate that we're posit that we're also reducing pain. Uh, there are lots of empirical studies um, looking at individual features of music and how those mechanisms might work to provide more effective um, interventions. I'm going to be talking quite a bit about that. Um, how emotion is communicated through music and metaphoric content and how, as I said, anxiety and stress contribute to exacerbating the pain experience. Um, when we start to look at, at uh, the elements of music, how music might work uh, in a music therapy context, um, one of the things that we start to do is to try and deconstruct the whole experience. Uh, there's a wonderful, very elegant uh, study done by a colleague named Julian Thayer uh, that came up. You know, there, there are many, many different um, elements that you could look at and, and try and analyze. And uh, if you're familiar with Pandora, everybody know what Pandora is and their music genome? Right. To find out the music that one might like to listen to, the music genome has 684 different elements that it, that it analyzes in real time. And that's how they generate the list of music that you like. Um, for, a, for a person trying to do that in real time, it's just impossible. So what we're trying to do is to, not to add to it, but to try and distill that. And um, two elements that we've come up with, actually Julian Thayer uh, developed, that are likely the most important elements in music when you're looking at it from a clinical uh, standpoint are valence and arousal. So that's how much you like it and whether or not it excites you or calms you. And even though we've already listened to this, I'm just going to put it on once again. So pressing in a, once again, very elegant study, defined groove as temporal cognition, a temporal cognition phenomenon that's characterized by the perception of a steady beat. And said, the urge to move in response to music combined with the positive affect associated with the coupling of sensory motor processing while engaging with music in a seemingly effortless way is commonly described as feeling like being in the groove, right? Important messages are feel good and emotions. So on one level, music is a sensate experience. It is all about sensations. When we listen to music, um, we often describe it in emotional terms. If I were to give you a list of songs and ask you to describe what emotions were in them or what, what emotions you felt when you listened to them, you might likely come up with two things. And that is what the music represents metaphorically 
Is it a sad piece of music? Is it a happy piece of music? Is it melancholy, uplifting? And the other thing is what you feel as you listen to that music. They're not always the same thing. Often we can listen to a very sad piece of music and sort of strangely feel uplifted by it. Right? Has that ever happened to anybody here? Sure, yeah, to all of us. So looking at Groove, uh, Dr. Lowry was talking about predictability. And what this, this study found is that complete predictability is not a good thing. We actually like to have that, that feeling of predictability interrupted or violated, right? So music becomes more interesting as there are more surprises in it. And if we look at, at uh, uh, the type of music that we've been listening to so far uh, today, one of the things that sort of violates our, our, the predictability is the, the beat, the actual groove of the music, the pulse, right? So if we're talking in musical terms, that means that there's strong beat on two and four. Uh, Dr. Lowry was talking about how we are a collection of rhythms. When we ambulate, we're, we're usually placing an accent on the strong parts of it. So I start off with my right foot, and that's a strong beat. But in music, um, like funk music, uh, electronic dance music that we've been listening to, the actual strong beats, the accents are on two and four. So that in itself is sort of violating what we sort of feel innately, right, as far as pulse. Here's the thing, though. If it gets too complicated, we stop liking it so much, and we stop moving to it. It becomes just too difficult, right? Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about something called the music characterization system. And uh, as I said, as therapists, we are always looking to make our interventions uh, more effective, looking to try and distill things down to more workable and more identifiable uh, tools. And so the uh, music characterization is, uh, system is something that uh, belongs to a study that was conducted in radiation oncology. Um, and it was about the use of uh, pre-recorded music, as, as John uh, and uh, Joanne mentioned we mostly work with live music. The reason that we work with live music is live music is something that we can change in the moment. Uh, we can transition to whatever is needed in the moment. And that's something that even though technology is bringing us closer to being able to do that with pre-recorded music, it's still not really a reality. Uh, be that as it may, there are quite a few clinical um, situations where we just can't use live music, and one of those is in radiation oncology. Uh, that's where the basis, most of my practice is in radiation oncology. I cannot be with my patients in the room while they're receiving radiation. Um, I could do that for about a week, and then I'd have a really big problem. Okay, so we were looking for a way to use pre-recorded music. And um, there are lots of, lots of contexts, uh, especially we were just talking about dentists who are uh, using pre-recorded music to do root canals and, uh, and painful procedures. And they found that for the most part, it seems to be pretty effective. But pretty effective is different than really effective. So what we're looking for, once again with the system, is to make things more effective. You can usually use music. Some music is often better than no music. But why just go for a scattergun approach? Let's look for something specific. So this particular system is a way of looking at music, um, analyzing it, and um, in conjunction with the uh, evaluation 
or the assessment that we do of a patient, we can actually prescribe music looking for a specific clinical goal. As I said, everything that we do starts off with an assessment. You can't figure out what to do for a patient until you know what it is that you need to do. Um, we need to identify goals, and always we use patient-identified preferred music. That only makes sense. I mean, how would you like to listen to something that you really hate? Let's say you're having a medical procedure, and I decide that 50 cent is what you need to listen to. <laughs> All right. Because uh, I like it, right? So uh, it only makes sense that patient-preferred music is where you start off with. Um, so what, the, what this particular system does is, um, I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit here. Uh, we've identified this, this set of individual elements. Tessitura, that means the range between the highest and lowest notes. Um, why that's interesting is that um, there are sounds that, that uh, sort of enhance communication and make us feel safe in, in uh, sometimes challenging contexts, and there are sounds that do exactly the opposite. Most of those sounds that do exactly the opposite are something that uh, Stephen Porsche has identified as predator sounds, and those exist in very high frequencies and very low frequencies. So tessitura is something that's really important. You're going to choose music pretty much that is, uh, the range of the music is between two octaves above and below middle C. Um, there is actually a physiological ex uh, explanation to that. Uh, that's, I guess, for a different lecture. Um, so here are the elements, intensity, um, dynamic range, tempo, harmonic simplicity or complexity, apparent volume, rhythmic simplicity and complexity, uh, complexity a lot of contour dissonance, timbre, structure, and predictability. So we do want some predictability, but we don't, we don't want it to be totally predictable. Because if I sing a, a melody that has four notes, and I sing it over and over and over and over again, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to lose interest very quickly. So there needs to be a certain amount of unpredictability in what they're listening to, what the patients are listening to. We also identified um, some non-musical elements because one of the mechanisms and one of the, likely one of the most important mechanisms in music as a clinical tool is the idea of its emotional content and its ability to engender, produce emotional response. That's important because uh, that's something that we can use very effectively to modify or modulate affect and mood. So going back, um, often what we need to do with music, one of the things we need to do, uh, very common, is relax people. And that's interesting in the context of uh, pain management because there are many studies at this point, uh, many talks that were given uh, this week about the value of relaxation as a strategy for pain management. And this is something that is relatively easy to do even with pre-recorded music. And using the music characterization system, uh, how this would work is that uh, if we're looking at the curve here, this is pretty much what relaxation looks like. We don't relax in a linear fashion. You know, okay, I'm really nervous and I'm really calm. So it's sort of 
sloping and often has uh, not just one curve to it, but a double curve, sort of an inverse plateau in the middle there. Um, if that's what relaxation looks like, we can mimic that with a series of uh, pieces or musical works. And how we do that is, first off, you look at matching where a patient is. How anxious are they? Uh, how activated are they? How intense is their pain? So to connect with the patient, entrainment, as Dr. Lowy said, um, you need to find music that matches that state. If we can analyze the music, like I said, using that, that system, that's a pretty accurate way of finding something that is patient-preferred, so it's music that somebody likes, and it's something that matches their state that they're going to be able to entrain with. Now, entrainment is a process that is sort of bidirectional. In this case, since it's pre-recorded music, it's not going to be that way. The patient is going to be in training with the music. The music is not going to be in training with the patient as we would do if it were live music. But in this context of um, radiation oncology, that's not, that's not possible. So here's your set of maybe 20 or uh, 30 minutes of music. And you've analyzed the elements of each individual piece of patient says, um, I really love Bach, so we're going to use mostly Bach. And, um, the intensity, the tessitura, the tempo are all going to be lowering, just like the curve does. And what we found, this is something we've studied and we've gotten very, very good results on this, is that patients will follow the curve of the music down and they will end up quite relaxed. And so the idea uh, is that an emotional induction can move two ways because we can also activate patients. If what we're looking for is a release strategy, like as you saw in the, the video of uh, Dr. Lowy's patient, um, you can move towards catharsis and movement and release. Of course, controlled, or you could look to go sort of the other way, mood states of transcendence, wonder, or peacefulness. Uh, since we need something to measure this by, here's a really nice scale called the Geneva Emotional Music Scale. Um, and if you look at this, you'll see that valence uh, is also part of this and that activation is also part of it too. Okay. Here are some references of the, uh, the material that I used to put this together. And I'm going to turn this back over to my colleague, John Montanero. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew and Joanne, for filling out the picture in terms of live music therapy. What I want to do is bring the um, groove focus component of the presentation to a place of uh, giving you actual resources. Because it's one thing to stand up here and talk about this, but I think it's great for you to leave here with some maybe names of artists or, or production companies that you might build a resource. Uh, not everyone has access to live music therapy. We wish that were different, but it's the truth. You might seek out drumming circles in your community, you know, uh, but I think the, the go-to is to get yourself set up with music that you love that gets you moving. So um, the effects of groove, I just want to cover a few points that um, might be superfluous to what Andrew was saying, but I still want to hit them. Um, so visceral and temporal engagement music, that's something that uh, is, a, is a, a desired effect of groove-based music from producers producing the music. 
and certainly as, as consumers listening. Um, and the effects of this can put you in a place of, of zen, of flow, and, and, and that's where we can go back and reference the simplicity of music. Overly complex music can be overstimulating and can, you can lose interest, whereas the groove of, of simple mantra-like music can actually lull you um, into a place of, of release toward relaxation. Effects of music across body, mind, spirit. I'm going to give you a sample uh, coming up here. And, and also the, the ability to use um, the music to transcend the physical space. So this sample I'm going to give you is uh, from a, it's actually 25 years old now, which is so weird to say, but it's the truth. Um, and it's uh, from a group, uh, an outfit by the name of Enigma. And they created uh, something that music therapy is referred to as participatory discrepancy, meaning that you have the groove that's pretty solid straight on, and then you have uh, layers of live, uh, maybe the voice or a flute or violin, um, to humanize the, the effects of electronic groove. So give, listen to this. Um, Oh, right. Okay. Ah. Sorry. the producers use Gregorian chant and Native American flutes over electronic groove to create this split, this uh, dichotomy of experience that one is rooted in the body through the electronic groove, but the spirit, the psyche allowed to soar, the higher faculties allowed to soar. So you can imagine the, the therapeutic benefit of, of that. Um, and I think I, to bring up electronic dance music as a genre that has been around for decades now, it really, if you think about Donna Summer's hit, I Feel Love, um, up clear through Michael Jackson and Madonna. It's been an ever-growing genre of music. And there's quite a bit of artistry. And it's been relegated often in the press as being a genre dedicated to the drug users of the youth culture. It's actually not true. Um, I won't dispute that that may be a component. But I think if you look at the art form, producers of EDM are really bringing to the forefront the science of groove. And they're making that the most science feature of the music. This is another example of um, some groove. And I, I want to give you this to give you a sense of contemporary music, I mean, mainstream music that's still eliciting or moving toward groove-based uh, production. People as mainstream as Adele, Taylor Swift, occasionally produce dance versions of their music. Um, so let's hear that. Eric Satie, down to a dance group. Come and pick me up now. 
Daft Punk, Pharrell Williams. Like the legend of the phoenix, all ends with beginnings. What keeps the planet spinning? Awesome the beginning. Moving into some heavy hitting EDM. You go to the boulevard pool after this and you can experience this firsthand. So again, the juxtaposition of drums, electronic drums with live uh, sounds creates this beautiful experience that um, gives another version of groove. Um, this is a, I want to give you an idea of, of the range of production in this genre that's happening across uh, world music um, and various styles. So there's, there's really, if, if looking for music to listen to on a, on a personal stereo is a direction you want to go, you can find whatever you want. It's really been uh, developed in the past really in the past um, 10 years. A lot of these tracks are from an outfit called Cafe Del Mar, which we'll show you on the next slide. More of a genre called chill de-emphasizes the, the extremes of, of heavy-hitting EDM. It's more of an ambient experience. It's still groove-oriented. Wake up, you lazy people. Put on your heads and realize we can be positive people. Adjust your attitude and rise. We can be, we can be, we can be more than ever people. More than ever people.
So producers and uh, production companies to keep an eye on, I think, if, you're, if you want to explore this. Um, Moby, Empire of the Sun, Zed is a name to keep an eye on. He's a young man, classically trained pianist, who's doing a lot of really amazing production work. Um, and then uh, DJ Chesto out of Europe, Peter Lutz out of Europe, Ryan Lewis and Macklemore, William Orbit, if anybody remembers the Ray of Light album that Madonna did back in the early part of this millennium, was William Orbit produced, David Guetta, Florida, Calvin Harris. And then I referenced in the snippets there some, a parallel movement of chill out music, which is really EDM, the same thing. They're still bringing groove to the forefront, but de-emphasizing the, the, the extremes. Um, and that may be something that's a little more palpable for some. But in all these cases, I think you have the ability to integrate personal stereo into, into a movement experience for yourself. I want to just close with some <clears throat> references on our music and medicine. This is a journal that uh, Dr. Lowy and Ralph Spinkte um, uh, co-edit. And it's really a great journal. You can, if you want to learn more about the integration of music therapy and music as medicine around the world, uh, it's a great resource. Is there anything that, about this that, in terms of um, going online? And is it? Um, if you want to... Thank you all for coming. Enjoy the rest of your pain week. Yes? All right. Yeah.